Hello, hello everybody. Megan Thompson here and with Megan Thompson Coaching and we are here helping parents of sensitive kids eliminate the daily meltdowns and suicidal thoughts and stop explosive behavior. So just introduce yourself, myself, yourself. I am a registered play therapist, supervisor, a licensed clinical professional counselor, and I've been working with parents and children for the last over um, 10 years now at this point. So when we think about what's going on for today's topic, I really wanted to address a couple of red flags that I've been hearing parents talk about. So run a private practice in Maryland and then also work in, in how you know me here is through the coaching business. So one of the things that I think is important for parents of highly sensitive kids is determining when and how and through what you need to, when you need to seek professional help, what your, your avenues are and where you're going to get the results you need, right? So what I wanna do is talk about the importance of what type of mental health support makes sense for your particular family and what you need to watch out for. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. And so when we think about parenting a highly sensitive child, a child who feels big feelings, thinks about things deeply, is emotionally overreactive, compared to the 80% of the population who is empathetic in some situations or paralyzed by empathy or overstimulated in other circumstances and then also sensitive to little things, right? It's super important that when you work with a professional, they understand the trait. Now, I think about one of the things that really drives me nuts in the mental health field is the uh, mismatch in understanding the impact of parenting and a child's mental health journey. Now, when we think about mental health, what we're talking about is addressing anxiety symptoms, symptoms of depression, uh, perhaps symptoms of trauma, a diagnosable mental health disorder where a child is inhibited by their own emotional state on a regular basis more often than not, so much so that they're not able to follow through on their daily tasks. Now, when you think about how your child is being highly sensitive and that being part of their personality and how they might also fit in this category, it's super important to know that you're working with somebody who can guide you in understanding what their person, what's about their personality and what behaviors are a symptom of the relationship that you have with them and that being um, disconnected or not being effectively managed in a way where you can lead your child in managing their own emotions rather than diagnosing your child with a mental health disorder that may or may not fit because the therapist is not clear on the personality trait and how that can lead to developing a mental health disorder or can be misguided or misdiagnosed as a mental health disorder. So this is our mission. 
We're helping parents end suicidal thoughts for their sensitive kids because we know that it eventually gets there without addressing the, the, um, the core issues that sensitive kids have in terms of struggling with managing their big emotions. So when, um, when we think about some of the red flags, and the focus is in first and foremost for sensitive children is making sure that you're working with somebody whose primary focus is on the parent-child relationship. Now, one big red flag that I see a lot of mental health therapists um, work towards and perpetuate is this lack of involvement of parents in the therapy relationship with a child. So one thing that I think is super important when you're parenting a sensitive kid is the fact that your child and their emotional state is actually impacted more so by your relationship with them than by anybody else's. So if that's the case and you have a professional who wants to help you in guiding your child and managing their emotions and they want to help your child in guiding themselves to manage their emotions but they're meeting with your child alone for 90% of the treatment or um, all of the sessions without giving you any direction. I was just speaking to a family earlier today where their child had been working with a therapist for the past several months and they had no idea what they were working on. There was no development of a treatment plan, there was no communication on goals, no follow-up on what they were talking about. So the parents were having to quiz their child on what they were addressing in session, this child who, as a result, that creates a dynamic of who do I trust and who's running the show here. So when your child is experiencing big emotions, you need to know that the person that you're working with has a plan and a repeatable plan. So there needs to be a strategy that they are effectively creating and recreating and reiterating with their families that they work with so that they know how to get you from A to Z. Huge red flag if you're, the professional that you're working with does not involve and prioritize a parent component when you're working with, with, um, with sensitive children, when you have a sensitive child and you're working with a professional. So that's super, super important. Um, one of the things that I've, I've learned over the course of my career is that, that it really is a, a big disservice to parents to think that um, your um, that you need to defer to the professional in a way that actually puts you in the back seat or even the trunk of the relation, the therapeutic relationship that your child is developing. Because quite frankly, for sensitive children, the therapeutic relationship is actually fostered and the results of a therapeutic relationship, which is feeling better about themselves, communicating their emotions in a developmentally appropriate way, naming and advocating for their needs, right? That's what you want if you work with a professional, if you have the need to work with a professional. That therapeutic change has to happen through the parent. And so when parents come to us in the, in our, in the private practice, we have to do some educating around that. And, and that's normal because unfortunately, a huge red flag in the mental health industry for children is this concept, concept that the, um, the professional is going to assess the child, build a relationship with the child that needs to take weeks, months, uh, before the child starts to talk to them about their worries, and then the child is able to communicate and the, the therapist can guide them in making changes. Now, that works for children who are traumatized. That works for children who have a history of um, 
uh, of generalized anxiety. But for sensitive children, it doesn't work. I'm not gonna say any way around it. Uh, there's a, that is definitive, it doesn't work. Uh, and the, I have to say that because I've done it before and I did a crappy job without knowing it, right? So I had spent years trying to figure out why children who were sensitive weren't making as much progress as the children who weren't sensitive that I was treating. I've also lived it, my sister who's, who's sensitive does not understand the, the uh, and, and significantly struggles with being able to learn a skill and then implement it in various aspects of her life. So, um, and we see this repeatedly uh, when teens come into our private practice because of the years that where they've been struggling to generalize skills and parents just not really knowing how to lead them and, and struggling to try and, and, and implement skills that they may be reading or advised upon without a repeatable system. And so it, 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 it creates this situation of throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Now, when um, when we do that educating, as I was speaking about with parents, that there's, um, there's a little bit of um, support that needs to be put in place for parents to understand that the change comes through you. And so we work that out, right? It, it takes a, a conversation or two because we know what we're doing. Um, but it, it's really important for you in, in terms of working with your child and managing the the support that you might have in place with that the person that you're working with is not leaving you in the dark is not trying to build a relationship with your child and get to know your child through your child because who has a big picture view of what's going on you as the parent your child is struggling absolutely and they have a voice absolutely and it's also true that they are stuck in the middle of the vortex of their emotion. And so just by nature of developmentally struggling with managing, being able to show you the big picture and tell an adult the big picture, as well as being a highly sensitive child, they are going to significantly struggle learning about emotions and then translating that into the household in order to communicate and advocate for their needs in a developmentally appropriate way without you being consistent and leading the process. And that's just not gonna work if you're not in the office with that person or, I mean, now that telehealth has given you a little bit more um, freedom in, in terms of who you can choose to work with in your state if you go that route of, of finding a local therapist, but it still puts you in the, in the back seat or the trunk if you're not focused on, on acknowledging that that's a huge red flag. Another red flag that I think is super important for parents to understand is any use of behavioral strategies to manage behavior, uh, to change behavior in a child. So what this means, uh, when, I, when I say behavioral strategies, I mean sticker charts, reward charts, chore charts, acknowledgement of levels. Um, those are systems that are usually more re relevant in schools. But um, paying attention to if you do this, then you get a reward. Guys, I can't say this um, more than, than, than I have already. Your child is not a dog, so you can't click or train your kid. It's super, super important that if you're working with a professional who is telling you that behavior intervention like um, sticker charts, et cetera, is going to get, get you the result that you're looking for, then you're not working with a therapist who understands sensitive children. Because what does that do? Um, you, you, wanna, you wanna think about understanding that we 
as adults can be motivated by knowing that we have a goal and we're here and we want to reach here. But if we don't have the skill to get us here, like there's a gap in a skill development, then we're going to feel really frustrated about trying to jump up. It's like, you know, you're a kid, like an adult and you're trying to reach to, to hit the ceiling and you can't reach it. And no matter how hard you try, your legs just don't have the muscles to hit the 10 foot ceiling. And so you keep trying to reach that goal and then you start to jump less. And then you start to think, well, wait a minute, here's my goal, but I don't know how to get up there. And as an adult, maybe your life experience may demonstrate, oh, okay, maybe I could go find a ladder or a pogo stick, whatever, like you can get creative. But if you don't have the emotional capacity to notice your emotions and then think creatively, then you're going to get frustrated quicker. And you're also going to feel stuck. And when you feel stuck, what do you do? You can give up. So. It creates a situation that we always see with with parents who have started to use um, reward charts and sticker charts, et cetera, with their kids, uh, likely usually at the advice of a therapist or um, a mental health professional or even pediatrician, et cetera, is that their child ends up melting down when they don't earn the sticker. Now, we think about a dog and you're clicker training a dog. The dog doesn't understand or, you know, they get a treat. They don't understand that they didn't get a treat, but they also don't really realize that the treat's there. They're just trying to, like, figure it out. So I'm just going to use my dog Porter, who's, like, an adorable little thing, but he's also a super wiggly wiggle butt, right? And he's excited and he's pumped and he's a perpetual puppy. Now, when he was an actual puppy, he's five now, I think. Um, I'm just doing the math in my head. Um... He's, yeah, he's five and a half now. So when he was a, a younger puppy, he would sit and he would be like, you know, it, it got ants in his pants. And so if I was focusing on the fact that he like needed to actually sit still, then I would miss the opportunity of observing that he was doing the best he could. Now, a sticker chart is very definitive. Okay, there's no wiggle room and learn room for development. And so what happens is that your child, as they jump, as they try to reach that, that level, to go back to my earlier metaphor, is they are discouraged and frustrated before they get it, right? So it, it backslides and it backfires. Now, thinking with a dog, the dog is excited, they say sit, they, they, you know, they hold the treat, and they're like, oh, okay, and it takes them a while, and you're practicing over and over and over and over again. But their emotions are not as complicated or as deep as your sensitive child. So why would we be using the same level of, of system? I want to use another example that is probably going to feel more relevant, because I know that, you know, when we use the, the concept of animals versus humans, it um, it brings in other variables that we want to ensure that we're, we're not t taking in. Um, one of my earliest positions was in, um, I was an intern in high school working at a residential treatment center for traumatized children. So I was an intern uh, and I was shadowing the uh, behavioral support staff. So these are the staff who were assigned to make sure that they were um, supervising the children at all times. And these were children who had experienced severe trauma, neglect, and um, may or may not have had, um, you know, born into a drug history uh, where their, their parent, their mom was uh, addicted to drugs. And um, 
or were removed from care because their their parent was um, addicted to drugs and they were removed from care and put into foster care or family care but because of how traumatized they were their um, their behaviors were out of control they weren't able to control their own behaviors and without the skills and support it was deemed at some point in their childhood that they needed to be in a locked door facility so what that means is that the children were living outside of their home and away from their families or for those who are in foster care um, with no identified family and uh, that they could have contact with or could feel support from and then um, they were parented or guided by staff members right so um, doing shift work and so observing that and and seeing where the kids were struggling one of the things that was really frustrating for me even as a high school student was seeing where kids were stuck and how it was so difficult and hard for them to reach the goals and the expectations that were set for them and one of the things that was very clear on, on how stuck they were and why it was so clear to me was because they had a sticker chart on the the board so there was um, on the hallway there was a chart like red yellow green zone and so they were on what's considered a behavior chart and they would earn points throughout the day to um, for for positive behavior and then you know then they would um, stay on level and if they could stay on level for a certain number of days red yellow green then they would earn privileges and so there were certain levels of privileges that they had now when we think about children who are traumatized it's like going through life with a um, as if you don't have an extra layer of skin every little thing is going to have a higher impact on in bothering you and we can see a parallel with sensitive kids too so this is why I'm, I'm getting here I'm going somewhere with this now traumatized children who struggle significantly with trust and struggle significantly with being able to manage their own behaviors because not only do they not have skills they were also taught to um, really ineffective skills just by nature of what was modeled for them at such an early age and so they were put in this position to to manage their behavior and to do it effectively repeatedly and like on a strike you're out system right because you you know you lose points you move down a level and what we see with, with what we what i witnessed with these children was that when they moved down a level they lost their minds i mean it was just devastating to them because what it meant was that there's something, you know, that a loss of privilege tied to, to moving down. But that's not just it. It was also, I can never get out of here. I can never do this. And so that emotional experience for traumatized children is also what your child is experiencing when you use a sticker chart. So if it doesn't work with kids with severe needs who have the highest needs uh, of changing their 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 own expression of their emotions and have the highest needs of to be able to um, you know and need the highest level of care and support and love and communication if it doesn't work for children with these histories why would we think that it's appropriate for your children 
I want to really flip that on its head because sometimes we think, well, it doesn't work with traumatized children because of their history of trauma. But what if we consider that it doesn't work for any child to be held to a standard without a skill and then being told, if you don't have that skill, you lose privileges. So that's red flag number two. I just hands down don't believe the sticker charts were going to get you anywhere. Um, number three is planned ignoring. So this is one thing that um, drove me nuts today. I was uh, One of my therapists is at a training um, working with traumatized children she's getting more intensively trained to do that and um, she sent us a message that the um, and this is these two are, are related um, that the trainer so remember uh, or like let me clarify um, one of my clinicians she's at a training she's been working in the field for uh, we went to grad school together actually so um, 11 years at this point and um, and she is receiving intensive trauma-focused training to, which is considered an evidence-based treatment um, to support children with, uh, in, in resolving their emotional connection to trauma so that they can then process that ex the, their traumatic events in their life and move through the emotion uh, so that they can feel empowered to manage their lives and know that trauma is part of their life that doesn't define their life. So. Not going to name the level of treatment, but it is a highly widely used type of treatment that is evidence-based. What that means is that there's been lots of studies on it being effective in helping children heal through their trauma um, and, and be able to manage their behavior. Now, this type of treatment is also touting the use of what's called planned ignoring. Now, planned ignoring is when your child is doing something to demonstrate a need, um, uh, melting down, um, getting aggravated frustrated, um, not um, not communicating in an effective way, yelling, etc., that the person, the parent in, in charge of this child, in charge of leading this child, is to ignore it. So um, it's super important to understand that that is actually perpetuating another traumatic experience for children because when you ignore a child when they are at their highest of need, you are actually shutting down your emotional connection when they need them need you the most. So red flag number three, if a therapist is telling you to ignore, or a mental health professional at all, coach, whatever, um, is telling you to ignore a child's intense behavior, then that is not going to work. It actually teaches your child that when you are on fire emotionally, I don't pay attention to you. <laughs> Just hearing that sounds so hard, right? So definitely, definitely a red flag. Um, and, and because sensitive kids are picking up on this, they are noticing that that is not how they want to feel. They are worried about their relationship with you as their parent, and it, it further tears apart the strings that are holding you guys together when you feel disconnected. Because if your kid's having an emotional meltdown and you don't know how to help, that can create a lot of frustration for you, exhaustion, um, you're tired, you're also worried, and your heart is breaking. And when that happens, your relationship with your child, while you love them very, very much and thoroughly and, and, and in a very focused way, can also be felt on rocky ground because you don't know how to lead them out of their emotions. 
and teach them how to manage them safely and leave them out of the effect, ineffective behaviors that they're showing you. And so it can feel like your relationship at times could be hanging on a string. And if when they need you the most, you are, you know, still faced, then your child is feeling completely uh, abandoned in that moment. And I'm going to use that word, and I know it's really strong, but it's an emotional abandonment, and you, you, it's not going to work. Um, and and we see this. There, there, there are studies done in infants where their mom was. Uh, it's actually called the still face experiment. You can find it on YouTube. It's really hard to watch, so don't go like, you know, um, uh, looking it up on on purpose if if you're a sensitive person yourself. But uh, we know that children need interaction when they are struggling the most and um, and when parents shut down their emotion and ignore um, then it creates a, a lot of distress for children so that's number three um, number four is timeouts it's another one that um, that this uh, treatment is touting as a good idea and you guys have heard me speak about this before so i'm going to keep it pretty brief sending your child away uh, to manage their emotion when they are struggling the most if their emotion is leading to ineffective behavior still feels like neglect for your kid so they're being punished they're being told that they're not good enough in some way shape or form or they are interpreting it as that and you can't have a kid who feels like they're not good enough be good enough to do what you need them to do it just doesn't the logic doesn't compute if they think that they're not good enough to do what you need them to do because you're sending them away in a timeout then they won't feel that they're capable of reaching your expectations so they either give up or they stay stuck in their pattern and so it, it totally circumvents um, your your end goal as a parent of a sensitive child which is to help your child feel better about themselves so much so that they guide their own behavior to safely communicate their needs so uh, timeouts will not perpetuate the goal that you're looking for. And then lastly is medication as a second stop shop. Now I use this uh, when we think about mental health providers who struggle with teaching a system and being able to repeatedly get success for parents of sensitive kids. Usually they are the anomalies on the caseload of a professional in this, um, in this capacity who then because that child is struggling so much and, and they have, you know, their typical tools in the therapist's toolbox aren't working, then they say, you know what, they must need medication. And uh, if that's the next route that they take without addressing any other um, environmental change, or especially if we talked about flag number one, not working directly with you consistently on a weekly basis in a more pointed and effective way, then, uh, you know, other than just check-ins about how things are going and like a tip or two or nothing, just hearing from you so that you, like allowing you to vent um, or giving you an update on like what they talked about, you you know, the, the professional and your child, then, uh, then, then using medication as a second avenue of support really means that their first avenue of support wasn't actually effective. And so what they're saying at that point is, well, this isn't working and it's supposed to work, so then let's use medication 
when they should be saying this isn't working because it doesn't work. <laughs> Let's try something else. So I think that's really important to understand when you're working with a professional, you want to ensure that they understand the highly sensitive trait to sum up. You want to ensure that they know that that means that parents need to be involved regularly, consistently, and more in, in more thoroughly than the child and therapist working on their own. And then also that they are not teaching any behavioral interventions like sticker charts, reward charts, chore charts, etc. And that they're not teaching you anything that rejects your child when they're needing you the most. So like planned ignoring or timeouts. All right. So that's to summarize all of what we talked about. If you guys are focused on what is working, definitely go ahead and check out the masterclass. We know exactly what to work. There's a whole 45 minute training on that. So not uh, the focus of this, but really what it is, is making sure, make sure, making sure that you are managing the fact that your child goes straight to shame, changing the relationship with you as their parent as being the, the, the real true avenue for a change and then including play in managing their emotions. We break that whole, all, all of that down in the masterclass that you definitely have a link to at this point. Now, if you've been trying to do all of that on your own and you haven't been able to figure out how to get that to work effectively so that you have eliminated daily meltdowns and you've been able to perpetuate that system for more than a week, then you definitely should be reaching out for a conversation at this point and we can decide whether or not we're a good fit to work together and how we can help you. And we'll have a conversation with you. A member of my team or myself, we will discuss whether or not where you're stuck, um, where you wanna go, what your goals are, and where the gaps are, and how we can help you. And if that's a fit, we'll, we'll tell you how that works. If we feel like there's gonna be a more appropriate avenue, like therapy for your child, or uh, per perhaps um, taking an avenue of a, of, a, of a different professional, then we tell you that because it's really important that we ensure that you get the results that you're looking for. And if that doesn't mean it's us, then that's totally fine. Uh, with that being said, we don't know whether or not that's going to work for you until we get to know you and speak with you and, and whether or not you're a fit, right? So it was great speaking with you guys and look to, forward to speaking with you soon, okay? All right. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.